Hello and welcome to the 10th of January edition of Worcester Talking News, the first edition of 2019. So may I take this opportunity to wish you all a happy new year and I hope you had a great Christmas as well. As you know, this is brought to you by Worcester News and Equipment for the Blind and with kind permission of the Worcester News. I'm Pippa Curtis, and this year, uh, this year, I'm obviously in years, aren't I? This week, our team has a slightly different flavour to it, as both Phil and Jane are away. We have Catherine, as usual. Hello, this is Catherine. And Stephen Buckley. Hello. And Dill Porter. Hello. Myself, and Duncan, very kindly, Duncan Wynn has very kindly stepped in as recording engineer, because our usual engineer, John Plush, is poorly. I think he has the lurgy. Duncan is doubling up as well on copying an admin. He's very, um, what can I say? (laughs) Yes, thank you. Anyway, I will carry on and say I'd like to extend a warm welcome to any new listeners. And I hope you enjoy our reading, our reading, our recording. Sorry. As always, we will include a list of useful telephone numbers, what's on in the local theatres, the headline stories, general news stories, some sport, obituaries, Thought for the Week, Sunrise and Sunset Times, and The Birthdays. And if we don't have a record of your birthday and you'd like to be included, please get in touch and we can add it to the birthday file. Please keep sending us your feedback, good and bad, as the team here wants to make the recording as pleasurable and relevant as possible for you. If you have any comments or problems, our telephone number is 01905 767 766. And please be prepared for an answer phone to take your call. Alternatively, just put a note in your wallet. Listeners are kindly reminded to return memory sticks promptly to facilitate a smooth operation and use of resources. As from now, you'll only receive two weeks of recordings. And if neither of these are returned, you will not receive further recordings. If you're unwell or have a problem, please ring us and leave a message letting us know. And finally, the service is free to users, but if you'd like to make a donation, it can be sent to Colin Chance House, Wilds Lane, Worcester, WR5 1DA. So, let's start this week with the telephone numbers that Stephen's going to read out for us. Police non-emergency number 101, Crime Stoppers 0800, Five 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 one 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 Worcester Hub for Council Matters O one nine oh five seven six five seven six five Worcester Live, which has details of what's on at the Swan Theatre, Huntington Hall and Henry Sandon Hall O one nine oh five six one one four two seven. Malvern Theatres, 01684 892277. Samaritans, now a free phone number, 116123. And here at Colin Chance House, 01905 767766. Thank you, Stephen. And I now have a brief summary of what's on in the next week or two. So starting with the Huntington Hall, 
Two legends are set to bring the blues back to Worcester with Paul Jones and Dave Kelly coming to the Huntington Hall on Friday, January the 25th, starting at 7.30pm. Then a week later, well, not quite a week later, on Thursday, January the 31st, Jules Benjamin and his band returned to Huntington Hall to recreate the highlights of pop rock legend Billy Joel's incredible career, including all the hits. Details of both those performances can be uh, found out if you contact the box office on 01905 627. Now, over Christmas, I'm sure some people will have been to the pantomime. pantomime. We now have an adult panto taking place in January at the Swan Theatre in Worcester with, I quote, raunchy plots and blatant sexual innuendo. So I'm not sure it's for everybody. But if you are interested, the date for the diary is Thursday, January the 31st at the Swan Theatre from 7.30pm. For tickets, again, contact 611-427 or go to worcesterlive.co.uk. On a more cerebral theme at the Henry Sandon Hall, meanwhile, we have on Tuesday the 15th of January, one of three Ray Sturdy talks, this one about the rise and fall of Worcestershire's Whitley Court. £7.50 to include a drink, and that's a 7.30pm start time. On the 19th of January, also at the Henry Sandon Hall, the Worcester Repertory Company presents A Vision of Piers Plowman. In the first half, selected passages of William Langland's epic poem, which incidentally opens on the Malvern Hills, will be read by Peter Sutton, and in the second half, he gives an introduction to Lang- Langland's life, his literary style and historical background. And that's a half past seven start too. And finally, those who are into their classical music and are willing to travel to Much Markle, there is a concert that's going to take place at the Great Barns at Helens on Friday, January the 18th. It's a programme of music from Mendelssohn, Beethoven and Nicholas Schmidt is performing along with violinist Elizabeth Schneider and pianist Judald Buch and a cellist, Ella Rundle. To book for the concert and more details, sorry, the concert takes place on Friday, January the 18th at 6.30pm and for more details, call 0333-666-3366. I think that's enough of what's on, so... Catherine, if you'd like to read out the headlines and then take it away with the first story. Thank you, Pippa. The headlines for the last week have been as follows. Friday, January the 4th, Bouncer called me a pervert. Saturday, January the 5th, Dangerous driver caused death of 999 medic. Monday, January the 7th, Prison for woman who stole thousands from pensioner. Tuesday, January the 8th, County Cricketer Denies Rape Charges. Wednesday, January the 9th, Banish the Boy Racers. And Thursday, January the 10th, Tears of Rape Accused Cricketer. So I'm going to start with the headline story for Friday, January the 4th. Bouncer called me a pervert. Disabled father says Dorman threatened him as he waited for daughter. A disabled father was threatened by a bouncer and called a pervert sex offender as he dropped his daughter off at a Worcester nightclub, he claims. William Smith from Malvern said he was threatened after coming to the rescue of a woman who was locked in her shop. 
He was waiting for his 14-year-old daughter, Carmen, to enter the nightclub Sin after he dropped her off for a night for children under 18. Mr Smith said a Sin bouncer threatened to punch him, verbally abused him and took a photograph as he stood across the road after helping the shopkeeper. He said the threats left him shaken up, but he didn't tell his daughter, who was still in the queue. Mr Smith, who is aged 52, said, Like a typical teen, Carmen told me to wait up the road, as she didn't want to be seen with her dad. I stayed my distance, as I didn't want to embarrass her. Mr Smith uses a walking stick, as he struggles to walk a long distance, due to a disability in his leg and hip. He also has problems with his breathing. He was leaning against a wall when he saw a woman in Worcester Learning Zone, across the road from Sin, tapping on the window. I couldn't hear what she was saying through the glass, but we managed to communicate and she told me she was locked in, he said. She passed me the shop keys through the letterbox and I opened the door from the outside. She was so grateful I helped her. She was crying with relief when she came out of the shop. She said there was no heating and it was freezing in there. Mr Smith claimed three bouncers approached him and told him there had been complaints about him hanging around the street. Mr Smith reassured the doorman he'd dropped off his daughter and was keeping check on her while she was in the queue. The shop worker from Worcester Learning Zone backed up Mr Smith's explanation and said he'd just saved her from being locked in. After the three bouncers apologised and walked off, another bouncer came over. Mr Smith added... The next thing you know, another doorman came up to me. He was a lot more intimidating and told me I had to move and began threatening me. He put his chest out and told me he would punch me and with one hit I would fall to the floor. He called me a pervert sex offender. He said, you look like a pervert. The police are coming to get you. I've already called them. He took a step back and got out his phone in which he took a photograph of me and then threatened to take me out. It was like he wanted me to retaliate and cause a scene. Carmen is my world. I would do anything for her. I did not react to what had happened, as I wouldn't want to do anything to upset her. I do not deserve to be treated like that. It made me extremely angry. I've not slept all night. It's left me shaken up, which is not in my character at all. Carmen went into the club and was picked up by Mr Smith later that evening. The manager of Sin, Paul Todd, declined to comment when approached by the Worcester News. Headline from Saturday's Worcester News. Dangerous driver caused death of 999 medic. A dangerous driver crashed into a couple's car, causing the death of a popular ambulance technician and serious injuries to his wife. Paul Bird was told he faces an almost inevitable jail sentence after he admitted causing the death of emergency medical technician Gavin Hunt and serious injury to his wife, Alison Hunt, by dangerous driving when he appeared at Worcester Crown Court on Wednesday. The 45-year-old of Ludlow Avenue, Warnden Village's Worcester, was involved in a crash at the junction of the B4202 and the A456 at Clouds Top on February 2, 2018. The couple was driving along the A456 from the direction of Bewdley towards Newnham Bridge when the crash occurred, with Bird's grey Lexus travelling along the B4202 from Cleebury Mortimer. We reported at the time how residents from the village rushed out to the scene and provided first aid, while also stopping other traffic on the road before emergency services arrived. 
Despite the best efforts of ambulance staff, Mr Hunt died at the scene. His wife was taken to hospital with serious injuries, but in a stable condition. The 52-year-old joined Hereford and Worcester Ambulance Service in 1997, moving to frontline operations in 2000, and he was based at Kidderminster. Ambulance bosses said Mr Hunt had never had a day off sick in his career and he was due to be presented with his 20-year medal in March at the Trust's awards ceremony. West Midlands Ambulance Service Chief Executive Anthony Marsh said at the time of his death, At this sad and difficult time, I am sure I speak for everyone within the Trust in conveying our deepest sympathies to the family, friends and colleagues of Gavin, who has been taken away far too soon. Speaking at court on Wednesday, Mark Lister for Bird said, Mr Bird pleads guilty. He understands the almost inevitable consequences of those pleas. Mr Lister said Bird was a previous good character with a good driving record and asked the case to be adjourned for a pre-sentence report and for character references to be prepared. Mr Lister told the court that Bird had continued to drive and asked the judge if he would be minded not to impose an interim driving disqualification before the sentencing hearing. However, Judge Robert Jux, QC, imposed an interim driving disqualification to begin at 9am the day after the hearing, giving the defendant less than 24 hours to sort out matters involving his car. Paul Whitfield, prosecuting, said he would arrange for a victim personal statement to be made available to the judge before sentencing. The court heard that the adjournment would also allow Mrs Hunt to be in court when Bird is sentenced. Judge Jux told Bird, You have heard what has been said and you have had the good sense to plead guilty, which is as much as you can do to help those who have suffered the loss which you have caused. He told Bird to speak to the court's liaison probation officer before leaving the court building so a short-form pre-sentence report could be prepared before the sentencing hearing which is scheduled to take place on January the 21st. This is the front page story from the Worcester News, 7th of January. Prison for woman who stole thousands from pensioner. A woman has been handed a two-year prison sentence for stealing nearly £35,000 from an elderly friend. Jackie Cooper, aged 58, took the money from a Worcester woman who was in her 80s over a 10-year period. Police said the victim's family were happy that the saga was finally over after Cooper was sentenced at Hereford Crown Court on Friday. Cooper, of Linden Road, Worcester, took £34,400 from the woman's bank account and was only caught when the victim received a letter from her bank in 2014 offering her an overdraft. The victim's family then found out that there had been numerous unauthorised bank transactions and reported the matter to the police. Detective Sergeant Leslie Fisher, the investigating officer, said, I'm pleased the family are at last able to move forwards. This has been a long and difficult road for them. I hope this investigation and sentence reflects how seriously West Mercia Police and the courts consider offences of this type being committed against some of the most vulnerable members of our community. She previously said, The minute I took this case on, I knew I would do everything I could to establish what had taken place and uncover evidence of offences. This could have been 
anyone's mother or elderly relative. And a result like this makes me very pleased for the family and proud. It's what we earn our money for. Cooper was arrested in 2014 and charged in 2016. The thief had known the victim for more than 20 years and had established a strong friendship with her. She was even trusted with her house key and bank card and the pair used to go to the shops and doctors together. Cooper admitted stealing the money on December the 3rd. And the headline for Tuesday, January the 8th, County Cricketer Denies Rape Charges. A woman wept as she described how she woke up to discover a Worcestershire county cricketer raping her in a dark bedroom, believing she had been having sex with his teammate, a court heard. Worcestershire county cricketer Alex Hepburn, dressed in a grey suit, appeared at Worcester Crown Court yesterday for the first day of his trial. The 23-year-old of Portland Street, Diglis, Worcester, denies two counts of rape against a woman in a city flat on April the 1st, 2017, claiming sexual activity was consensual and that the complainant was awake at the time. Miranda Moore, QC, opened the prosecution case, telling the jury that the, com- the complainant had been, quote, horrified and devastated to learn that she had sex with Hepburn instead of his then-teammate, Joe Clark. Miss Moore referred to a WhatsApp group joined by all-rounder Hepburn and batsman Mr Clark, and read out messages about the game, a competition between the men to see who could have sex with the most women in Worcester. Miss Moore said, This game had precious little to do with cricket. A video interview was played to the jury of four men and eight women, during which the complainant said she had consensual sex with Hepburn's teammate, Joe Clark, at a city flat, before she went to sleep. She told her at an interviewing police officer she had not realised Mr Clark had left the room when she had sex with Mr Hepburn for around ten minutes, believing the man on the mattress with her was Mr Clark. That night, she had been out at city nightclubs, Sin and Bushwhackers, describing herself as five or six out of ten on a scale of drunkenness. She said... I remember assuming it was Joe. I realised it wasn't Joe. I remember being sort of really dazed. I didn't know what was going on. The woman said Hepburn told her she was beautiful, but she said at this stage she panicked, saying, Where's Joe? She told the officer that Hepburn had grunted in reply and said, What are you talking about? She described how she locked herself in the bathroom and called her housemate, telling him, I've just been raped. The woman also said she told Hepburn, you sick bastard, you've taken advantage of me. The complainant said she discovered Mr Clark asleep in another bathroom where he had gone to be sick. The door was locked from the inside, but she managed to open it using her fingernails. She described how she began to shake Mr Clark, telling him, Joe, I need you, I've just woken up to your friend having sex with me. But she said Mr Clark was disorientated and said... What? What? She left the flat and met a, quote, lovely woman, and a 999 call was made on her behalf. I was screaming, almost being sick. I felt so sick, she told the officer. She told the officer how both Hepburn and Mr Clark were a similar build, both quite muscular, and that the room where she had sex with both men was pitch black. 
When Hepburn was having sex with her, she told the officer she thought it was Joe Clark being cheeky, only realising it was not Mr Clark when she saw Hepburn's hair and he spoke with an Australian accent. She said, I pushed him, shoved him off me. I remember lying on the bed in a fetal position, processing what had gone on. The complainant referred to blood on the bed which had come from a cut on Hepburn's knee, which left stains like lipstick marks on the sheets. The WhatsApp messages between Hepburn and friends, including Mr Clark, began on March the 27th, 2017. They referred to stat chats, and the men discussed their odds of winning the sexual conquest game and also set out the rules of the game. They had to make a note of the name and age of the woman, whether she was black or white, to rate her out of 10 and rate their own performance out of 10. They referred to women they had not had sex with before as freshies and women they had previously previously sexual encounters with as reheats who didn't count towards the tally. The winner would be able to gloat and enjoy a free night out paid for by other members. Hepburn wrote a message to Clark, who now plays for Nottinghamshire, saying, Always me dragging birds back and you raping them which the prosecution argue is evidence of his attitude towards women. Hepburn submitted a prepared statement to police, claiming it had been agreed that he would share Mr Clark's bed if his own bed was occupied. But Miss Moore said, in fact, no one was in Alex Hepburn's bed. He could not have checked. If he did, he would have known it was empty. The trial continues. The headline for Wednesday, January the 9th, is Banish the Boy Races. Residents are campaigning to bring a stop to boy racers terrorising their city neighbourhood and making their lives a misery. Warnden Village's resident, Andy Graham, started an online petition at the weekend, which has already reached more than 100 signatures, and he has plans to present it to the police and Tesco. The Millwood Drive Superstore's car park is often used by the racers to meet in the early hours of the morning before they perform circuits around nearby roads, according to Mr Graham. The 57-year-old has lived in the area for five years and said the issue has always been present but is getting worse, making the neighbourhood potentially unsafe for us all. We demand that steps are taken now by the police and others with the power to do so to address this issue, which will inevitably, if left unresolved, lead to serious injury or even a fatality, said Mr Graham. The petition came about after numerous attempts by residents to persuade local authorities to act on the problem. But nothing gets done, Mr Graham added. He said many souped-up cars and bikes take part in the meetings, which take place throughout the week, and he believes the drivers are from outside the area. I often get woken up about midnight or one o'clock as they're doing circuits. When you get woken up, it's hard to get back to sleep, and by the time you get to work the next day, you're absolutely shattered. At the bare minimum, it's keeping people awake at night. But residents on the main strips used aren't safe to go outside at a certain hour as somebody could come speeding around a corner at any second. We haven't had an accident yet, but by the law of averages we will do. It might be one of the drivers and we don't wish for that to happen. Mr Graham, who lives on the junction between Millwood Drive and Plantation Drive, said in recent days neighbours have seen cars travelling at speeds of 60 or 70 miles an hour on the residential roads in the early hours. 
The idea behind the petition is to show the police in Tesco we're the community that is affected and they have the ability to do something about it, he added. The issue was raised at a meeting of Warndon Parish Council on Monday. Speaking to the Worcester News yesterday, Councillor Andrew Cross of Warndon Parish Council said... The issue of noisy vehicles speeding around the parish has been going on for a while, but appears to have worsened in recent months. Certainly, a lot of parish residents have recently expressed their anger about this. The issue was discussed at last night's parish council meeting, and as a result of those discussions, the parish council will very soon be meeting with the local policing team to explore options to help resolve this. A Tesco spokesman said... We encourage all visitors to our stores to use our car parks responsibly and will take appropriate action in instances of antisocial behaviour. We're keen to work in partnership with police to address residents' concerns. The spokesman added that the Warnden Superstore's car park has speed bumps installed at entrances and exits to encourage safe driving. The store closes at midnight during the week but motorists can still gain access to the car park. Warndon Parish Council and West Mercia Police were unavailable for comment. Headline now from the Worcester News for Thursday, January the 10th. Man who killed dad of four jailed for his crimes. A persistent criminal who kicked a dad to death has been jailed for breaching a court order and a suspended sentence. Carl Hardwick, 35, was sentenced to a total of 22 weeks in prison at Worcester Magistrates Court on Tuesday. The court heard that Ronxwood resident Hardwick swore and caused a person to feel distressed in Worcester on November the 24th last year and on December the 5th made threats to a person in public. He admitted both offences. This breached a criminal behaviour order that Hardick was given in December 2017, which banned him from shouting, swearing or behaving aggressively in any manner that causes people to feel alarmed, harassed or distressed. The 22-week jail term was also a result of Hardwick breaching a suspended sentence he was given in September 2017 for assaulting Police Constable Deborah Manson in the execution of her duty. Hardwick's offences meant that he also breached suspended sentences for stealing three bottles of fragrance and boots in Worcester and resisting a constable in the execution of his duty – Crimes committed in September 2017. Hardwick, whose aliases were listed as Matt Deccan and Matthew Dickon, has a long list of previous convictions. He was sentenced to eight years youth custody in 2000 when he was 17, after admitting, admitting being one of two teenagers who killed Kidderminster father of four, Thomas O'Brien, by kicking him to death outside a Worcester hostel for the homeless. In December 2015, he admitted assaulting his stepdad, Darren Green, and was given a nine-month prison sentence suspended for two years and ordered to do 200 hours unpaid work. Hardwick was also ordered to pay £600 compensation to Mr Green. So that's the headlines for the week, and we will now continue with the other news stories. So, Dill, if you'd like to start with those, that would be great. Okay, this is from Monday's Evening News. Commuters' anger at latest rail fare increase. 
Rail users in the city have blasted the latest increase in ticket prices and say they're fed up with not getting the service they pay for. Commuters at Fourgate Street Station reacted angrily and with frustration to the 3.1% average increase on tickets, which came into force on the 2nd of January. Patrick Newton, who catches the train from Bromsgrove to Worcester for work, was fed up with his ticket, not even guaranteeing him a seat on his morning commute. He said, Every morning I have to stand. There's never a seat. It's cramped and it just puts you in a bad mood. I don't drive, so I've got no other option but to catch the train. And it hasn't improved in years, yet I'm expected to pay more. It might only go up by a pound or so, but it all adds up. I'd like to see at least some improvement if they're going to put the cost up every year. Jane Fellows, who catches the train to Birmingham New Street from Worcester, said, I have to use the train and I must catch 20 trains a week. A good 75% are late or cancelled. There are more days when they're late than on time. I'm over the moon if I actually get to Birmingham when I'm supposed to. Three carriages on a train during rush hour? I mean, who, who comes with that? It's horrible on... It's horrible on there some days. Then to top it all, they put the prices up. Ridiculous. According to figures provided by the Office of Rail and Road, almost 4,000 trains were cancelled between July and September last year by West Midlands Trains, which run services between Birmingham, Hereford and Worcester, as well as Malvern and Droitwich. It was the same for Great Western Railways, which runs trains from between London and Oxford through Worcester and Malvern, where more than... 5,200 trains were cancelled. Councillor Lynn Denham, who is Labour's parliamentary candidate for Worcester, spoke with commuters outside Fourgate Street. She said, Our train fares are amongst the highest in Europe, yet punctuality has fallen to a 13-year low. Passengers are fed up with the daily squeeze as their ticket doesn't even buy them a seat. I'm told that on the line from Worcester to Birmingham, anyone joining after Droitwich has to stand. We need a rail service that's run in the interests of passengers and taxpayers, not for private profit. And this story is advance notice, I guess, of some roadworks that are going to affect us all in the next few weeks. Six-week roadworks is the headline. There will be road closures and temporary traffic lights for a total of six weeks in Worcester City Centre as work takes place on ageing gas mains. From Monday, January the 7th, teams from Cadent will move into Sansom Walk and later Sansom Place and Lion Court to replace four metallic pipes with new long-lasting plastic ones. The pipes are in a condition that has led gas network Cadent to consider them in need of urgent replacement to ensure safety. Residents in Sansom Walk, Sansom Place and Lion Court were visited by customer teams in November and December and have also had letters explaining the need for this work. Planners have worked with Worcestershire County Council to agree the timing of this work and the temporary traffic changes that need to be enforced. The works come in two phases. Phase 1 from January the 7th to the 28th, Sansom Walk will be closed from the junction with Pierpoint Street to the junction with Sansom Place, which means a signed diversion route will be in place. Phase 2, from January the 28th to February the 18th, the teams then move into Lion Court and Sansom Place, where traffic will be guided around the work by temporary traffic lights. Craig Horrocks, 
who heads Cadence Gas Mains Replacement Programme in the West Midlands, said, This is essential work to ensure we can safely deliver gas to thousands of properties in this area of Worcester, where it is used to keep people warm and cook food. We are aware that this is a very busy area and have worked closely with the County Council's highways team to minimise disruption as best we can. Well, on evidence of today, I'd say they're not doing a great job, but that's uh, just my personal opinion. Catherine, next one. This story is about um, the Alma Tavern, which some of you may uh, be familiar with. It's It's been a tavern for many years and is quite a local landmark up the Droitwich Road. The headline is New Start at Alma. Work is ongoing at a vacant city pub to help attract a new tenant, while the owner has released artwork of how the refurbished boozer will look when everything is finished. Subsidence works have now been completed at the Alma Tavern, according to owner Star Pubs and Bars, known as SPB, while maintenance work is ongoing. However, a full refurbishment will only be undertaken once a new licensee has come on board. The Droitwich Road pub had been boarded up since May after then-tenant Tim Churchman walked away having invested around £7,000 of his own money into the business. A spokeswoman for SPB said plans have been finalised for a refurbishment at the Alma but she could not give a time frame for completion. Mr Churchman, who now runs the bridge in Tiberton, said in June, I feel sorry for the Alma. I wanted to keep it going as a community pub, but there was too much uncertainty and I couldn't carry on losing money. He'd taken over as part of a tenant-at-will agreement with previous owners Punch Taverns, which means there is no fixed term, but said he was assured by SPB he had first option on a longer-term lease. He claims a refurbishment had been planned under the previous owners, but there was no clear communication about when that would take place once SPB took over. It's hard to attract new business when people are walking past and they know nothing's changed for 15 years, said Mr Churchman. He said he'd reported a leaking roof and drainage problems in the cellar. These issues are apparently being dealt with as part of the current works. The SPB spokeswoman said... We're now undertaking maintenance work to the building and have finalised plans for a refurbishment of the Alma. We're currently looking for a new licensee to take on the pub so that we can implement these exciting plans. Anyone interested in this business opportunity can find out more at starpubs.co.uk. The headline for this story is Indian Eatery will back LGBT events. An Indian restaurant is backing the LGBT community and launching a project to feed the homeless in the city. Balti Mahal, a family-run restaurant in Ashwood Road, Worcester, will be creating the project Local Love, which aims to support individuals and create a welcoming environment for those who feel vulnerable. Mazadal Hassan Shakil from Balti Mahal said, We need to work together in the community and tackle homelessness. It is our main goal to help the homeless and encourage individuals to visit us in a safe environment. Balti Mahal will allow people living on the streets to attend organised events in which a buffet spread will be available to feed the homeless in Worcester. 
As well as supporting Rough Sleepers, the Indian restaurant intends to act as a hub to promote members of the LGBT community to host their meetings and plan for this year's Worcestershire Pride. Mr Shakil said, There are no Indian restaurants that I am aware of in Worcestershire that supports the LGBT community. It is a taboo subject in the Asian community. I believe they claim it is wrong to be gay. We would like to share our support and allow people to embrace who they are. It is unfair how we can do what we want. However, some people must hide their identity to remain protected. Some people cannot express who they are and be themselves. The restaurant aims to be involved with Worcestershire Pride and claims it will support LGBT events which will be held in the city. Mr Shakil added, We plan on setting up a society for people and the Asian community to understand the gay culture. I think it's important we work together to support the less fortunate and those who have no voice. As a society, we disregard people who are poor and take for granted the roof over our heads and the easy access to food. A key aspect of local love is to host meetings, charity events and to feed the homeless. This is from the Saturday edition of the Worcester News, fundraising walk for blind rugby team. Worcester Warriors Community Foundation will be walking Hadrian's Wall in June to raise funds for its visually impaired rugby team's groundbreaking trip to Japan during the Rugby World Cup. Last summer, Foundation staff, volunteers and members of the visually impaired team raised £5,000 for the Foundation and Guide Dogs when they tackled the Three Peaks Challenge. This year... They'll walk the 84 miles from Bowness on Solway in Cumbria to Wall's End in Northumberland on a week-long trek between June the 9th and 15th. Proceeds from the walk will help fund the visually impaired team's Japan tour, where they'll showcase Hugby, an adapted form of rugby devised by the Foundation for people who have visual impairment and those who have lost their sight. Anyone interested can contact Simon Northcott at simon.northcott at warriors.co. UK. Persistent thief jailed. A homeless man from Worcester stole over £1,500 worth of goods in a string of thefts. David Egan Parker, 23, admitted eight counts of theft at Worcester Magistrates Court after stealing electric shavers from Boots and fragrances from Debenhams. All of the items were stolen between November the 5th and December the 3rd, and the total value of the items taken by Parker, who has gone through several periods of homelessness and currently lives at St Paul's Hostel, came to £1,616. Parker was serving a suspended sentence for a theft from a shop in February 2017 at the time of the offences the court heard. His solicitor, Fergus Maxwell, said, I have represented Mr Parker for a number of years since he was a youth, and I am aware that he has a number of issues, including Asperger's and ADHD, all of which affect his life. He has had several periods of homelessness, and this is why he stole the items. He was not trying to fund a drug addiction. He was simply trying to get the money for a bed and a shower at a budget hotel for the night. He has spent time on the streets in Birmingham and Worcester, and has suffered greatly, at times being spat on in the streets. In fairness to him... He did not try and deny the charges and did not ask to see the evidence when it was offered by the police. 
Until he finds proper accommodation, this will keep happening. And the reality is that when someone comes out of prison, their benefits are stopped and they're given 47 quid nowhere to live. Sentencing Parker on Thursday, magistrates activated his suspended sentence, giving him eight weeks in prison for each offence to be served concurrently. Um, the headline of the next story is Crowngate Toy Shop is Closing Down. A toy shop is closing down. Hawkins Bazaar on Friary Walk, Crowngate Shopping Centre, displayed shop window signs on Thursday announcing a closing down sale. The signs in the shop window read, Everything must go. Staff confirmed that the store has come to the end of its tenancy after trading on the premises since November 2015. Various businesses in the shopping centre have closed down in the past year. In July, Carluccio's closed its branch in the shopping centre after the Italian restaurant chain announced it was closing 30 branches across the country. The company blamed the closures on rising business costs and unsustainable rental levels. In January, popular independent record store Rise on Chapel Walk closed after news that its sister store in Bristol was being taken over by record company Rough Trade. House of Fraser is the latest store to hit hard times, as it was announced in June the Worcester store would be closing in January 2019. However, last month, staff at the Worcester branch were told the store could be saved. Hawkins Bazaar has had troubles in the past. The chain of toy and curiosity shops was sold off by its private equity backer, Primary Capital, in 2016. In 2011, it narrowly avoided folding, and in 2012, more than 50 stores nationwide were closed. Britain's struggling retailers have axed nearly 150,000 jobs this year, with experts predicting more in 2019, research for the Press Association has shown. End-of-year figures compiled by the Centre for Retail Research show that 148,132 jobs have been wiped out as almost 20,000 shops and restaurants closed their doors. The Worcester News approached Crowngate and Hawkins Bazaar, but both declined to comment. This headline is Mini Pub Banned. A builder has been given 28 days to tear down a mini pub in his garden over claims he has been illegally selling alcohol. Carl Roberts, 49, says he built the 5 by 4 metre outbuilding in his back garden in Team Avenue, Kidderminster, two years ago to be used for family parties and barbecues with neighbours. But the father of two has now been ordered to remove the pub, which includes its own bar, pool table and flat screen TV – after a Bromford housing inspector claimed it was breaching building regulations and licensing laws, namely by selling alcohol. A letter sent by Bromford on December the 18th reads, Following our recent visit to your property to inspect the large building in the rear garden, it appears you have built a micro bar, and it is apparent that it is not being used for personal use. A following letter from the Worcestershire Regulatory Services goes on to say that information has been provided to us that licensed activities, including the sale by retail of alcohol, are being carried on at the property and warns that enforcement action will be taken if licensed activities continue. Neighbours have rallied to defend Carl, who insists the pub is only used by family and friends and has never sold alcohol. 
He said, the only thing the pub has been used for are kids' parties and the occasional barbecue. I've never had any complaints. Bromford came round after our neighbour had a fire in their shed, and now I'm being told I need to take it down. I'm a builder by trade, so I know how to build a decent shed. It's not something I've just knocked up. It's cost me about £6,000 to build. Carl said he will be appealing Bromford's decision, while his neighbours have pledged to write letters to Bromford and the local regulatory services to back him up. Joe Fieldhouse, head of locality for Bromford, said, When a surveyor assessed the structure, we found it not only conflicted with our own guidelines on what is acceptable, but it was also above the size allowable without planning permission from the local authority. Worcestershire Regulatory Services said its letter was standard procedure after being alerted to potential licensing activities on the property. Okay, this is from Tuesday's evening, uh, Tuesday's news. Post office at the pub. A village post office is due to reopen early next month, based at a popular pub. From Monday the 4th of February, Lower Broadheath will be getting post office services six days a week, with the introduction of new counters inside its community shop. The village is currently visited by a mobile post office on Monday mornings, following the closure of the village shop last year. But now the post office will be opening counters at the shop which is at the Bell Inn, Marley Road. Opening hours will be Monday to Friday from 10 to 3 and Saturday from 10 to noon, a total of 27 hours a week. A wide range of post post office services will be offered along with banking services for personal customers and small businesses. Harriet Baldwin MP, who supported the villagers' campaign, said... I've been working closely with the post office management to ensure that a post office service remains in the village and Lower Broadheath has been accessing a mobile service ever since the closure. I've also been in close contact with the volunteer group since it was first formed and I'm so pleased that the community has pulled together to reopen the village store together with its vital post office services. I'm grateful for the efforts of every volunteer who's worked to get to this point and the many people who will donate their time and energies to making this community-run store a reality. I look forward to popping in as soon as it opens and I'll keep in close contact with both the post office team and the volunteers as it welcomes customers back to Lower Broadheath. Richard Hall, post office public affairs manager, said... We are delighted that post office services are to be restored to the community in Lower Broadheath. Everyone involved should be immensely proud of the innovation and determination that has delivered the new community shop and post office. The Broadheath stores, which was just opposite the Bell Inn, closed in May last year following the retirement of the business owner Colin Barrett, who had run the shop since 1999. Mr Barrett who had the business on the market for seven years up to its closure, said that the closure of independent stores could be blamed on increased red tape, online shopping and competition from supermarkets. City lottery ready to be launched. A new city lottery designed to benefit local charities and good causes is ready to be launched with councillors set to approve rules next week. Worcester Community Lottery would give players the chance to sign up to a weekly draw and to specify which local causes they want to benefit from their subscription. The City Council's Income Generation Subcommittee will be asked to decide the rules for selecting good causes and how funds are awarded 
at a meeting next Tuesday, January the 15th. Councillor Roger Knight, Vice Chairman of the Council's Income Generation Subcommittee, said, This is an exciting opportunity for Worcester community organisations that might otherwise struggle to get access to funds to benefit from the support of local people. Worcester Community Lottery will give players the chance to say exactly which local charity they want to benefit every time they buy a ticket or to make a contribution to a local community fund. Charities across the city will be able to sign up from February with tickets ready to go on sale in the spring. Tickets would cost a pound each, with 60p going to the charity and 20p going to the prize fund. The maximum jackpot prize in the weekly draw will be £25,000 or 10% of the gross ticket sales, whichever is the greater. Rollovers of up to 25000 would be allowed if no one wins. Local scouts and guides, sports clubs, drama groups, arts groups and charities supporting vulnerable, vulnerable members of society are all expected to benefit. The idea was agreed in principle by the City Council at a meeting in July, with the City Council bringing in Gatherwell Limited, who already operate lotteries for more than 100 councils across England, to run it. Worcester Community Lottery has been approved by the Gambling Commission and will be run as a low-risk model that will not encourage gambling. Our next story is about uh, the Repair Café. A cafe can fix your damaged treasures. The first session of the popular Worcester Repair Café this year takes place on Saturday the 12th of January. Held from 11am to 2pm at Unity House in Stanley Road, people can bring in any items they have which need repairing so that the cafe's fixers can help. The aim of the cafe is to combat throwaway culture and salvage items that, which can be saved to reduce waste. A spokesman said, please bring in your items by 1.30pm at the latest to give our repairers a fair chance of fixing your items. As you know, we'll take a look at any item that you can carry or push through the door. If it's heavy, then please do ask one of our super-friendly volunteers to help you move it into the building. Our bakers will have great cakes again to go with your coffee and tea. Even if you have no item to repair this month, you're welcome to just walk in and say hello. We always love to see you. It's a rather intriguing headline from Saturday, January the 5th. An interesting use for seal intestines. There's uh, an exhibit at our Worcester Museum of a hooded parka from northern Alaska. It was gifted to Worcester City Museum over a century ago and is now a key object in the World Culture Collection. The parka was used as a waterproof outer garment, ideal when travelling on the sea and in the rain. The garment was constructed from the intestines of seals. After the seal had been processed for food, the intestines would have been pulled inside out to clean and soaked in salt water for a couple of days to turn it white. Then they would blow air, air in to check for holes. If a hole had been found, they would then tie it together and hang it to dry. Once stretched, the strips of intestines would be ready to be sewn together. The seams would have been made waterproof by joining the strips with folds and stitching the fibres so it didn't directly pierce through the material. To keep the wearer dry, drawstrings are on the hood and the wrists. This garment would have been ideal for hunting as it folds up into a very nice compact parcel for carrying. 
Although the garment would have been great in the wet, they would not have lasted very long due to the fragility of the thin fabric. Museums throughout Worcestershire are full of fascinating objects with incredible histories like this one. So why not make a resolution to visit your local museum this year? For more information on what's on, visit museumsworcestershire.org.uk. Okay, this is from Thursday's evening news. Uh, Mum's stalking hell. When she first received a Facebook friend request from a woman she didn't know, Worcestershire horsewoman Michelle Hawthorne thought nothing of it. What seemed like a harmless attempt to connect, however, turned into a six-year stalking ordeal that proved stranger than fiction and left her fearing for her family's safety. Married, married mum of one, Michelle, said, It probably took me a couple of years to realise that I was being stalked, first through Facebook, I didn't realise that I was interesting enough. After mentioning the friend, request to her family, she learned it was from a former flame of a relative trying to contact her. She said, I kept getting friend requests from this woman, so I blocked her. She kept opening other profiles and messaging. In the end, I messaged her and said, stop it, I don't befriend people I don't know. But Michelle's attempt to nip the problem in the bud failed, and the mysterious social media fanatic just became obsessed. She found out where I worked, where my son went to school, where we moved house, within weeks. Police concluded she could only have followed us, she said. She tried to find out where my horses were, she befriended my friends and messaged me again on Facebook. She would sit in the pub over the road in the window. It just went on and on and on. Things got even more scary when Michelle, a lawyer, received a drawing of her stalker holding a knife with blood dripping from it. She even had to have a password in place at her son's school so only people who knew the genuine keyword were able to collect him. Michelle, who lives in Hales Owen and keeps horses in Worcestershire, said, It affected everything. I was absolutely terrified. She even changed jobs after receiving an an email from her stalker and noticing the woman had been sitting outside her office waving at her. I just didn't feel safe at work anymore as I had to as I had to get the train home and walk through a dark car park, she said. Even when police took up the case, Michelle had the harrowing job of gathering evidence to prove her allegations without incriminating herself. She said, we took pictures of her fake Facebook profiles and when police went to Facebook, over 30 different names came back to her IP address. A friend request even came through while an officer was standing there in my house. She added... When questioned, she tried to turn it round and make out it was me that was harassing her. She was very clever, almost trying to make herself look like the victim. The case, however, eventually went to court and the woman, a married middle-aged mother of two, was issued with a restraining order. That was over 12 months ago and Michelle, aged 47, says her life has since been able to return to normal. The ordeal also took its toll on Michelle's son, who was at primary school at the time. She said it affected him for a long time. He was frightened this lady was going to hurt us. It's horrific what she did to us as a family. It became completely consuming and it's changed me permanently. She, has, she said she hopes speaking out about her experiences will give hope to other victims of stalking. She said the police will do something but you've got to get the evidence. You've got to be really determined to see it through.
She said even now she has no idea why she was targeted. I don't know why it happened, she said. Each time police asked her why she was doing it, she gave different reasons. Apparently one day she begged police to say, just be my friend and see how well we'd get on. Another time, when confronted by a relative about it, she said she was going to... She was having a great time and was going to carry on. Some sort of strange thing must have happened in her mind. A plan to build 40 homes on the edge of Worcester looks set to be approved. An application for the homes on land between Sling Lane and the Old Drive off Droichwich Road on the eastern edge of Fernal Heath will be decided at a meeting of Witchhaven District Council's planning committee next Thursday. In line with the District Council's policy, around 40% should be affordable homes. The 2.3 hectare site is bordered by the A38 to the north, and Grade 2 listed Fernal House and Hindlip House are nearby. Homes have already been built to the west, and a number of fields border the site to the south. The housing development will be accessed from Droitwich Road and will be made up of a mixture of one to four bedroom houses and bungalows. Around one hectare of green space is also included. During consultation, 11 objections were made to the plan. A letter sent by Martin and Jan Leader of Sling Lane in Fernal Heath said they were concerned by the amount of traffic on the A38, especially during peak school times, and a new junction onto the estate would only make matters worse. The letter also raised objections about the design of the homes being out of character with the area, the inability of the sewage system to cope with the new homes, the damage it would cause to wildlife, the number of homes being too many, and the loss of green space. Another objector, Mary Baker of Drury Lane and Martin Hussingtree, said, This would impact on green belt land between Fernal Heath and Droitwich. The infrastructure not sufficient and it would, not add, it would add to an already congested road system. The local school is oversubscribed and yet another public footpath will be closed. Um, the next story has the headline, This is a Tragic Event. Tributes have been paid to a homeless man whose body was found in a Malvern shop doorway on Christmas morning. Flowers and poems have been placed outside department store Bray's in Worcester Road, where the body of the man, named locally as Joby Sparry, was found. One message from your big sis, Sarah, reads, I just can't believe this has happened. Such a short life. It helps knowing that you are at peace with mum and dad. A poem, signed Carol, reads in part, You breathed your last on Christmas Day, angels came to lead you home, and tears fall in the shop doorway as I lay my flowers down. Mr Sparrow's death is the second of a rough sleeper in the town in recent months, following that of Remigius Boshaski, who had been living in a bus shelter in Wells Road. He's believed to have taken his own life, aged 40, on October the 31st. Stephen Gabriel, Head of Housing and Communities for Malvern Hills District Council, said of Mr Sparrow's death, This is a tragic event, particularly at this time of year. Our thoughts and prayers go out to friends and family of Mr Sparry. Mr Sparry was known to us and we offered extensive support, including offering him temporary accommodation, whilst longer-term options were explored. We do not know the full circumstances of his death, but we will conduct a full review. MP Harriet Baldwin said, 
It's not appropriate for me to comment on the specifics of this case at this time, but my thoughts are with his friends and family and anyone who's been affected by this news. I know from my own casework that some people who live on the streets have complex needs and government and local authorities must continue to work together to help some of the most vulnerable people in our society. Nationally, the government announced a cross-departmental £100 million strategy to focus on preventing people from becoming homeless earlier this month. Locally, Malvern Hills and Whitchaven District Councils have developed their own plans to reduce homelessness, including the appointment of a dedicated homelessness prevention officer and a process to help those who need support in times of crisis, including important advice on the Council's website. Nick McMillan wrote on Facebook, Out of all the empty buildings in Malvern, there has to be one that could be turned into a permanent shelter for the homeless. Life is getting financially harder for everyone. The amount of people homeless is only going to rise. If there was a shelter in Malvern, I would volunteer in the evenings and days when kids are in nursery, and I'm sure many more people would help. You never know when you might be that person that needs help. So sad. A manager at Brace confirmed that a man was found dead outside the shop on Christmas Day when the premises were closed. A friend of Joby said that he was aged 47 or 48 years old. She added, he had been homeless for a while and hung about with the other homeless in Malvern, a number of which I'm friends with. It really saddens and angers me that people are having to sleep in tents on Malvern Link Common or try to sleep in an abandoned caravan that for all accounts was actually open to the elements because it had previously been trashed. Council charity grants up for grabs. Charities, community and voluntary groups across Weechaven will be given the chance to grab a slice of £50,000 as part of a council grant scheme. Wichaven District Council said bids can be made for projects that benefit the community and promote physical well-being as well as for sports and arts equipment. Projects can also be aimed at specific groups, including sports clubs and teams, or can include people from different backgrounds or with different abilities. Last year, 16 groups benefited from the £50,000 worth of funding on projects ranging from purchasing new patrol tents to helping build a new village hall and providing an outdoor seating area at a community cafe. Tracy Grubb, Community Development Officer at the District Council, said, Over the years, our grants have made a difference to many community projects across Wichaven and have helped improve the lives of residents as a result. We always have a lot of interest in our grants, so we encourage charitable, community and voluntary groups to submit their applications as soon as they can. More information can be found at whichaven.gov.uk forward slash grants or by calling 01386 565 168. The deadline for applications is 12 noon on Friday, March the 29th. Okay, sad story here from Tuesday's Worcester News. Tributes to Mum Who Loved City. Tributes have been paid to the beloved daughter-in-law of iconic Worcestershire cricketer Basil D'Oliveira following her death from cancer. Tracy D'Oliveira's son, Marcus, said his mum was known as much for being a nurse in Worcester as she was for her marriage to Damien D'Oliveira, who also played cricket for Worcestershire. 
He added that she also had a special bond with her father-in-law, Basil, and became a key part of the cricketing dynasty. Marcus, aged 32, said she used to go and pick Basil up from the centre of town after a few beers. He used to to always call her. She used to go into town in her nighty and slippers to pick him up. Although she was a Dolly Vera, she also made her own name. She was a phlebotomist, a nurse that takes blood from patients. We couldn't go round Worcester for ten minutes without her being stopped by one of her patients. Damien married Tracy in Worcester St George's Church in 1983 when he was 22 and she was 24. Marcus said that some of his mother's fondest memories were from when she and her husband lived in New Zealand, where he played two seasons of cricket. However, her son added that Worcester always had a special place in her heart. He said, She went to so many places in the world, and she w- but she would not have moved out of Worcester. She loved the city and the people here. It was her home. It's still her home. She was such a caring and amazing person. She made time for everyone. We couldn't have asked for a better mum and she was always good to us. She was proud of all three of us. She was also very proud that she became a grandmother when Brett had his first child 12 months ago. Mum got to see his first birthday. Her life changed when Damien died of cancer, aged 53, in 2014. Marcus said, It was difficult for her. He was her sole partner. She was strong but he certainly, she certainly missed him. She died aged 59 from small cell lung cancer on the 13th of September. Marcus thanked the staff at St Richard's Hospice in Worcester for caring for his mother in her final days. She survived by Marcus and her two other sons, Dominic and Brett. Brett D'Oliveira has followed in the footsteps of his father and grandfather by playing for Worcestershire County Cricket Club. Mrs D'Oliveira's funeral will take place at Worcester Crematorium, at 12.15 on the 11th of January. And finally, for the other news stories, this is a short one about a horse racing um, day out. Horse racing fans can buy an exclusive behind-the-scenes experience at Worcester Racecourse. The event is in aid of Midlands Air Ambulance Charity and gives 18 horse racing fans the chance to live a day in the life of an owner. The experience includes breakfast and a tour of David Dennis's yard and world-class facilities. Meet and greet with a jockey, behind-the-scenes access at the racecourse and an award-winning meal and use of a private box. Fundraisers will also be at the event on Monday, September the 16th, collecting donations, selling raffle tickets and showing off the charity's interactive helicopter pod. Abby Hawkins, events coordinator, said... On average, the charity attends equestrian-related incidents every four days. This is why it's so important for the charity to raise awareness of the service we provide and also raise funds for future missions. Anyone interested in looking at this potential race day out should visit midlandsairambulance.com where they will find further details. So now we're going to move on to some sports stories and Catherine will kick it off with, I think, a big one about rugby. Yes, thank you. And this is probably the sports story of the week, I think, anyway. Um, The headline is, Our Second Wind, Weir Salutes Replacements for Helping Warriors to Epic Win. 
Uh, match winner Duncan Weir saluted the replacements for giving Worcester Warriors a second wind in their epic 21-19 comeback triumph over 11-man Bath. Warriors trailed 19-3 at half-time before Weir landed two penalties and Bryce Heem crossed twice with his second try in the 17th minute of added time to level the scores. Weir then clinched victory with the last kick of an extraordinary Gallagher Premiership match that witnessed four yellow cards and one red. But the 27-year-old insisted it was the impact of Warriors' bench players that proved key to the six-way's success as the hosts completed a superb comeback. I know they worked hard during the week and were disappointed not to start, Weir said, but they came on and helped us keep the energy levels really high and ultimately probably gave us that second wind to push on and grind out the result. Back rower Marco Mama who had been struggling with a hamstring problem, was among those who impressed off the bench, while Weir felt props, Ethan Waller and Gareth Milasinovich, and Locks, Pierce Phillips and Darren Barry, made a telling contribution in the scrum. I know Marco has been in and out with injury problems over the last couple of months, so it's good to see him fully fit, Weir said. He's a tremendous player, but also the two props and two Locks came on and really added something. It was great to feel the energy they brought, and the set piece was going from strength to strength. With the clock dead and Warriors just five metres away from the try line, Weir was preparing himself for a potential last gasp conversion. But Weir admitted he was also hoping referee Ian Tempest would award Warriors a penalty try, as Mac, Max Lahif, Lucas Noguera, and Alad Brew were sinbinned in the dying moments. Tempest had also yellow-carded Worcester's Michael Fatilofa in the first half and sent Bath's Ross Batty off on 64 minutes. I really don't know much about scrummaging, but it felt we had the upper hand there, Weir said. Obviously, you're hoping there'll be a penalty try and you won't have to think about the conversion and get away with the victory. Several of his teammates and many spectators could not watch as Weir looked to add the extras after Heem went over. But the Scotland international said he was fairly confident he would fit, hit the target. As a kicker, you pride yourself on your kicking, Weir said. I knew I missed a fairly simple one against Northampton at home when I was on that streak. It was in that exact same position, and I knew exactly what I had to do. I knew what I'd done that night, which made it miss. I stuck to my processes and my technique, and I'm just glad it went over, but it was a full team performance as we all dug deep. The victory saw Warriors move four points <coughs> clear of bottom club Newcastle Falcons, who lost 38-17 to Harlequins at Kingston Park. This win was massive, Weir said. The character we showed in the second half is definitely something we can build on. We should be coming out with that energy and enthusiasm to go and take points off teams, especially at home. This is a football story uh, about Kidderminster Harriers. Chairman Colin Gordon insisted he had taken the manager's job at Kidderminster Harriers to offer stability and declared, I'm not an egotist. Gordon will take the reins until the end of the season after Neil McFarland left by mutual consent yesterday. 
Harriers have won just two of their past ten games and remained out of the National League North's playoff places following Saturday's 3-0 loss at Darlington. Gordon, who previously held the role as caretaker boss in the 2015-16 season, will be assisted by senior players Jimmy O'Connor and Russ Penn as he looks to kick-start a faltering campaign. He said, results will always dictate these sort of things because it's a results-driven business, but we also look at performance levels as well. After the amount of games we played this season, you get an idea about if things will be able to improve. Neil was here for more than half a season, but results have tailed off dramatically. It is a short-term fix at the moment, but there is an element of looking further ahead because we want to play a certain way and show those shoots of recovery down the line. It's not about focusing on the playoffs now, just about working hard and playing a certain way. I'm not an egotist. I'm one of those chairmen who wants to be a manager. I had a successful playing and coaching career and never imagined I'd be in this position this season. It's all about making sure we don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. If you rush to get someone in, then often you have to change everything. You have characters who might not fit with the new manager and suddenly the whole ethos at the club is being changed and that's not what we want. Changing everything and forgetting how we want to play and what we want to do would be the road to ruin for us. It's about looking for the right person for this club and making sure we do our homework and get the right person in. Hopefully this gives us time to do that. On the roles for O'Connor and Penn, Gordon added, they are both going to be vitally important to me. They're both qualified coaches and want to head that way themselves. They also offer another voice on things and will have their own ideas and are also close to the dressing room. Harriers have also been hit by further injuries this season, against, uh, especially against their clash with Spennymoor Town. George Waring and o- O'Connor could miss out after knocks at Darlington, while defender Ryan Johnson starts a three-game ban. This is from Saturday the 5th of January, and it's about Worcester City, whose fans are unhappy with their current form and their current status. Worcester City's George Forsyth reckons derogatory comments about the Midland Football League are unfair. Supporters, frustrated by results in the build-up to Christmas, ventured on social media with the Midland Football League referred to as a pub league full of Sunday morning players, while another argued City may as well pack it all in after losing to Stalport Swifts on Boxing Day. The players did what they could to lift the gloom by winning 2-0 at Coventry United last Saturday, with Forsyth keen to extol the virtues of Step 5 football. It's a crazy league, really, said Forsyth. It's mixed and match. There's a lot of money about, and players drop down to play in it. My reasons were different. I needed to play football. I'd only made around 50 appearances by the time I was 20, and I've doubled that by coming here. It's a good standard. I played next to Matt Burley on Saturday, who had a great career. There are some very good, talented players with that pedigree in the league, and we have a lot to offer ourselves. It's not a pub league. It's unfair to say that. There are some good people and players here. The best team will be the most settled and the best organised. We have to work on these things, but Saturday was a good start. Now we have to build. Looking back at our 17-match unbeaten run, we have to go again. It's a tough task and we can't get carried away, but I believe we have to put together six or seven wins. That's the only way we're going to climb back up the table. We have to take it a game at a time, try to put together that kind of run bit by bit and see where it takes us. 
If we can pull together a run, other teams might drop points and who knows where we might end up. The next Premier Division game, that's in the Midland Football League, for 8th place City is at home to Walsall Wood on Saturday the 12th of January. And on to a netball story. Stars are defeated by newcomers in opener. Worcester's seven stars were left disappointed after narrowly, narrowly losing 51-49 to London Pulse in their Vitality Netball Super League season opener. With just two minutes left, stars and league debutants Pulse were level, with the teams neck and neck for much of the second half, but London took the victory in the final seconds. Head coach Sam Bird called for stars to show their excellent quality of play more consistently. At Arena Birmingham, as part of the Super 10 event, Pulse were led by Australian Ash Neal and Jamaican Chantal Slater. A tight affair saw Stars unable to get much change out of Slater and they could do little about goal attack, Chiara Semple's long-range shooting. Pulse led 15-13 at the end of the first quarter and went in at half-time, 26-22 ahead. Bird brought on the experienced Cara Lee Mosley, who linked seamlessly with fellow Welsh international Georgia Rowe in attack as the momentum swung. Stars went on a 7-0 run to finish the third quarter, 38-35 ahead. Formidable new signing Rowe combined well with England Futures star Paige Reid to convert 92% of their shots. But Pulse had their own impressive shooter in England International Semple and the fourth quarter was tense. With just two minutes left and the score at 49 apiece, Rowe uncharacteristically overshot and Pulse showed no mercy, scoring off the turnover and again from their own centre pass late on. Uh, another football story here um, called Big Ban for Dan about Worcester City. Worcester City goalkeeper Dan Jezeff will miss the rest of the season, having been walloped with a 150-day ban, a punishment boss John Snape described as very harsh. Joseph, dual-registered from parent club Tamworth, remonstrated with referee jo James Cox, having shipped the fifth goal in a 6-1 defeat to Westfields on November the 24th, 2018. The ex-Walsall custodian was sent off and six days later got charged with improper conduct against a match official, including physical contact, violent conduct and threatening and or abusive language behaviour. He admitted his guilt. He was automatically suspended from that point, November the 30th, with the 150 days starting from then and running up to and including Sunday, April the 28th. It's understood the severity of the sanction centres around Cox reporting that Joseph, who's 21, had made physical contact with him through their chests bumping together alongside foul and abusive language. I've been in football a long time and even this season I have seen people threatening or saying they're going to kill each other, this, that and the other, said Snape. Dan did wrong. I totally agree, but the punishment is very harsh on a young lad who is learning his trade, and I think the FA should look at that. We put in evidence to see what we could do. I know rules are rules, and that he cannot do what he did, but it, it was totally out of character. 
I do question whether that ban would have occurred had it been another club in this league and not Worcester City. Dan will keep training and going fitness-wise. He's a very dedicated boy and I'm gutted we won't have him available because he's been outstanding for us. In response to Snape's comments, a Worcestershire FA spokesperson said the punishment would not be any different for another player or another team. When we go to a disciplinary commission, we blank out the names of the player and the club so the three people sat on the panel are not aware of who the player in question is at that point. Joseph's right to appeal has already passed. Now this is a basketball story about Worcester Wolves. Worcester Wolves have been hit by injuries to two key forwards over the festive period. Deshaun Freeman picked up a serious ankle sprain during the 91-75 British Basketball League defeat to London City Royals on December 28th and will be out for three to four weeks. Since then, fellow forward Philip Kramer has broken his nose in an accident during a training session. Both injuries come as a huge blow for Wolves. January will be a tough month without the duo as the bottom of the table Worcester faces leaders London Lions at home on January the 18th and travel to high-flying Sheffield Sharks and Royals. The club are actively looking for cover. Riders, meanwhile, complete a weekend doubleheader following a visit to Sheffield Sharks last night after suffering three defeats from four games during a dodgy December. Wolves look to put a poor end to 2018 behind them after 12 straight defeats in the league left them stranded at the bottom despite promising additions. The last time they met saw Wolves lose 81-76 at home in the championship last February. Meanwhile, former Worcester boss Paul James was named Moulton Kevin Cadle BDL Coach of the Month after guiding his team through a flawless December. James made the most of home comforts during the period as Raiders racked up four wins at the Pavilions, topping off their unbeaten spell with a 94-79 success against Cheshire Phoenix. They won their first visit from Royals 84-77 and a hat-trick of championship victories was notched up in style with a 115-100 beating of Surrey Scorchers. Raiders celebrated a fruitful finish of the calendar year with an 86-74 derby win against Bristol Flyers, which catapulted them into the BBL Trophy quarterfinals. James had to fight off a strong claim from Lions head coach Vince McCauley to land the accolade. Raiders' Dante Nicholas was voted Moulton BBL Player of the Month for December. Okay, looking forward to the summer. This is from Thursday's Sports News It's about Worcestershire County Cricket Club. Skipper Joe Leach is delighted with the acquisition of Ricky Vessels to reinforce an increasingly experienced-looking Worcestershire lineup. Vessels linked up with his teammates for pre-season training at Malvern College this week after signing a three-year contract at Blackfinch New Road. The former Nottinghamshire player has shown he's a destructive batsman capable of destroying attacks at the top of the order in white ball cricket. He demonstrated this when he hit nine sixes in his 55 against Worcestershire in a Vitality Blast match last summer. But Vessels will also bolster the middle order in Red Bull cricket from this summer. With Darrell Mitchell and Callum Ferguson also in their 30s and another newcomer in Wayne Parnell plus Ben Cox and Russ Whiteley having many years under their belts, it's a side with much know-how to call upon. Leach said... 
To bring in a player of Ricky's calibre shows where he thinks we're at, which is a good sign. But it also shows the club's ambition, and we want to keep challenging for trophies and to get back into the top end of Division 1 in the Championship. To have Ricky at the top of the white ball order will help us again to be very strong in that format. Then in red ball cricket, he gives us a bit of dynamism and a lot of experience. He's training with us now and has fitted in very well already. We've now got three 30-plus very experienced guys in that batting order with Mitch, Ricky and Callum. Ross Whiteley is 30 now, I'm 28, Coxie, Brett, similar ranges. It's not a young, inexperienced team anymore and hopefully the Vitality Blast Trophy was the first of many. Well, that concludes our sports stories for the week. And so I will move on to read the obituaries with Catherine. Starting with Quinn, Roy Morgan sadly passed away on December the 26th at St. Richard's Hospice, aged 88. A service to celebrate his life will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, January the 14th at 10.45 a.m., Donations in memory of Roy for St. Richard's Hospice may be left in the box provided or sent to AV Band Funeral Directors. Sedgwick, Violet Anne, passed away peacefully at home on December the 15th, aged 95 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, January the 14th at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for the British Stammering Association or Dementia UK may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR3 7EU. Bateman, Edna Rose, sadly passed away on December 21st, age 88. The service to take place at Worcester Crematorium on January the 11th at 3.15pm. Edna requested bright colours, no black or grey. Donations, if desired for air ambulance or RNLI, may be left in the donations box or sent to AV Band, St John's. Cartwright, Emily, later the Orchard Poet, passed away at the Hawthorns Care Home on December the 19th, aged 91. Funeral service at the Vale Crematorium, Fladbury, on Thursday, January the 17th at 2pm. Family flowers only. Donations are invited for Dementia UK or Admiral Nurses. Inquiries to E. Hill and Son, Funeral Directors, 01386 552141. Tracy, passed away peacefully on December the 13th, aged 59. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, January the 11th at 12.15pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery & Son, Worcester. Green, nay Seabright, Joan, passed away peacefully on December the 19th. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium, Tuesday, January the 15th at 11.30am. Family flowers only. Donations if desired to MS Society, care of E.J. Gummery and Son, Worcester. Henton, nay Hill, Valerie, known as Val, passed away on December the 27th, age 73. 
Committal, ser- committal service to be held at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, January the 16th at 12.15pm, followed by a Thanksgiving service at St Matthias Church, Malvern Link, at 1.30pm. All welcome at both services. Family flowers only, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or church, or sent to F.W. Spilsbury, Funeral Director, 12 Upper Housel Road, Malvern, Worcestershire, WR 14 1TL. Kelland Rosemary, known as Rose, passed away on December the 24th. Funeral service at Great Malvern Priory on Tuesday, January the 22nd at 11am. Family flowers only, please. Donations, if desired, for Age UK may be sent to FW Spilsbury, Malvern, WR 14 1TL. Robert Edwin Ransom of Ombersley passed away peacefully in hospital on November the 29th, aged 77. A memorial service will take place at St Andrew's Church, Ombersley, on Friday, January the 11th at 2pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations if desired for the Mags Day Centre or Ombersley Church may be left on the collection plate at church or sent to E.J. Cummery and Son, 6870 Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR370U. Alice Dorothy Still passed away on December the 6th, finally losing her battle against cancer, aged 73. The funeral service has already taken place. Flowers or donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice. Hall Rhoda Ann passed away peacefully at Perry Manor Care Home on December the 26th, aged 99 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, January the 16th at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium. Harris, nay Carswell, Janet Mary, passed away on December the 25th at Waterside Care Home, Lysinton. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, January the 21st at 11.30am. Family flowers only, please. Donations for Alzheimer's Society may be sent to F.W. Spilsbury Funeral Director, Malvern, WR 141TL. Stone, Philip Arthur, passed away on December the 23rd, aged 70 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Wednesday, January the 16th at 1.45pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for the RNLI may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to Gummery. <clears throat> at Omblesley Road, Worcester, WR3, 7EU. Clay, formerly Lean, Jean, passed away on December the 26th after 81 wonderful years. Please join the family for a celebration of Jean's life at St James Church, Callow End, on Tuesday, January the 15th at 11.30am, followed by a committal service at Worcester Crematorium at 1pm, all welcome at both services. Family flowers only, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be sent to F.W. Spilsbury, Funeral Director, Malvern, WR 14 1TL. Edmunds, formerly Jenkins, Gloria Marion, known as Marion, 
passed away on December the 31st, aged 76. A service to celebrate her life will be held at Worcester Crematorium on Thursday, January the 17th at 3.15pm. Donations for St Richard's Hospice may be left in the box provided or sent to AV Band Funeral Directors. Larry, nay Pitt, Carol Gladys, passed away on December the 28th, aged 75 years. Funeral service at St Martin's Church on Thursday, January the 17th at 1pm, followed by committal at Worcester Crematorium. Flowers or donations, if desired, for Cancer Research UK may be sent to Gummery, Ombersley Road, Worcester. A collection plate will also be available at the church. No black by request, please. Perkins, <coughs> Margaret, passed away on December the 20th, aged 88 years. Funeral service at Christ Church, Lower Broadheath, on Thursday, January the 17th at 10.30am, followed by interment in the churchyard. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Dementia UK may be sent to Gummery, Omersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Brixton, Gordon Alfred, passed away on December the 21st, aged 91 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Monday, January the 14th at 4pm. Family flowers only, please, but donations, if desired, for Midlands Air Ambulance may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to Gummery, Ombersley Road, Worcester, WR37EU. Monday, Richard Donald, passed away on January the 3rd, aged 63 years. Funeral service at Worcester Crematorium on Friday, January the 11th at 2.30pm. No flowers by request, please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son, Ombersley Road, WR37EU. Frank Waters passed away on December the 31st at Northwick Grange Care Home. The funeral service will take place at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday, January the 15th at 1.45pm. No flowers by request, please, but donations, if desired, for the RNIB may be left on the collection plate at the crematorium or sent to Gummery and Son, Ombersley Road, Worcester. So that concludes the obituaries, and Stephen has the thought for the week. The first one is uh, slightly retrospective, the week ending of Saturday the 5th. Psalm 92, verses 1 to 5, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, O Most High, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night, to the music of the ten-string lyre and the melody of the harp. For you make me glad by your deeds, Lord. I sing for joy at what your hands have done. How great are your works, Lord! How profound your thoughts! The week ending Saturday the 12th. Uh, that's fine. We only do one I day. The, ne- the next week does the next one. So thank you for that. 
And I have the birthdays here from um, the 1st of the 10th of January, so all our New Year birthday people. On the 1st, it was Sylvia Day's birthday and also Anne Hill's. And on the 2nd of January, Roger Pratt had his birthday. On the 4th, Joan Woodfield. And on the 9th, Eileen Watson. And on the 9th, Pippa Curtis. So I think we should all say happy birthday to <laughs> to everyone. <laughs> And last but not least, I have the sunrise and sunset times. The sunset tonight was 4.18 p.m. and sunrise tomorrow will be at 8.17 a.m. Or I think 8.16, I can't read my writing. Anyway, around about 8.15 tomorrow morning. And I should have made a note of this at the beginning of the recording that we'd like to say thank you very much to Mrs. Lynette Williams and Mrs. Barbara Robry for their donations that were received um, this January. So thank you both very much. And that concludes this week's recording. I would like to say thank you very much to tonight's readers, Catherine, Stephen and Dill and to Duncan in the engineer's room who's waving at me. And if they would all like to say goodbye, uh, we'll say farewell. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. And I hope that you are all managing to stick to your New Year's resolutions. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.